0: I'm Rich Sainz, and you're listening to the Procurement Conversations Big Conversation. Join me as I talk to procurement leaders and industry specialists about the biggest issues facing our profession. Welcome to the Procurement Conversation. This week we're looking at what's changing in the IR35 interim worker space and the opportunity that this brings for procurement teams. I'm joined by Mark Olson, who's an experienced procurement professional with a unique specialism in IR35. Mark, Hi. Hello. Thanks, Rich. Thanks for inviting me. So, Mark, briefly, what what is IR35? So, essentially,
1: probably best distilled down to be the difference between engaging uh, a contractor or external worker under contracts of employment, which will be considered to be inside r 35 versus a contract for services. Two different models attract different types of tax to be applied that has benefits for both the client, particularly outside, in terms of avoiding... Employers national insurance and apprenticeship levy uh, and also the contractor because if they if they're engaged by their limited company then they can uh, offset expenses they can distribute their dividend uh, between themselves and their spouses there's a whole bunch of different but yeah the bone of contention is that in order to uh, determine uh, whether it is or isn't inside or outside um, there's a whole bunch of criteria which uh, people find complex probably unnecessarily so because actually, it's many ways more straightforward than people realise.
0: And how did you come to specialise in IA35?
1: Yeah, so I've been a contractor for twenty years myself. So I think it's my twenty seventh year in procurement. So I'm showing my age now. Now, m- most of my my career has been spent in two primary categories, which is HR professional services um, and and marketing. Now, obviously, in the HR space, there is always a natural focus on on contingent workers. There's always opportunities there. I run lots of MSP tenders for large blue chips. Now, the change that occurred in IR35 in the private sector was originally due to come in in April 2020. It was actually deferred by year because of COVID. You know, people had enough on their plates with lockdown and furlough payments. But what would happen is the clients that I was working with would create these sort of hastily arranged internal project teams of someone from legal and someone from HR and someone from procurement. And they'd be talking about the looming change on IR35 and no one really wanted to own it. What was interesting when you participated in those meetings was that you realised that they didn't have any understanding of of what IR35 was, how to apply it. It felt intimidating. It felt complex. They were very concerned about the risks of misassessing and getting it wrong, and the perceived liability. There wasn't there wasn't any knowledge in that room, and I include legal in that. You know, invariably they had lots of knowledge on employment law and unfair dismissal and grievance procedures, but yeah, you know, most employment solicitors or lawyers rarely had to ever involve themselves in ir thirty five. So I I recognized that it needed to be solved because the reality is that if you engage a contractor inside I thirty five instead of outside, then as a client you're probably looking at around about twenty five percent cost of higher increase. So it has a real material effect on the budgets that clients spend on contingent labour. It also has it's it's actually almost the worst of all worlds is that you then struggle to attract and hire the right caliber of contractor inside and then you end up you know being forced to body shop to supplement your project resources through consultancies off the bench at you know twice the cost of the contractor equivalent so i knew that from a procurement perspective it had such a material effect on the cost of uh, of the contingent workforce within a client base that i needed to understand and understand how to solve it so i, I spent you know, well, best part of i guess three years now Learning from a general called Martin Valentine, who I'd definitely encourage your audience to connect with. He's probably the most experienced lawyer on IR35 in the country. He spent 18 years dedicated to specialism, fairly uniquely, on IR35. And I've spent three years basically bending his ear with uh, a million and one questions to try and understand better from my perspective, You know, what is allowable outside versus disallowable you know, what do HMRC look for, and 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 you know, fortunately, over the last probably eighteen months, have been applying that knowledge to help clients unlock uh, significant savings.
0: So, what's been happening in the market since twenty twenty one?
1: Well, I'd probably describe it as paralysis initially. Certainly, for the first what well, probably first couple of years. So, there was a, an ignorance that occurred where, coming back to that example of those conversations that took place in those project teams, where. You know, because of the backdrop of COVID and furlough, they all sat around a table, realized that they didn't understand it. And they all came to the conclusion, well, you know, isn't the best mechanism just not to use limited company contractors at all? It's like job done. We can now move on to furlough payments. And to a certain degree, for the first six months of that decision, they kind of got away with it because we're in a false environment where lockdown was forcing contractors to just take any opportunities that, that were available to them just to keep the lights on at home. And then what you then had, as as we all became back returning back to normal, was this realization that attracting contractors inside was was proving much more challenging than it was before, and and as I mentioned as well, you know about the the, the the bleed into the kind of professional services spend. So, but the reality is you've also got a disconnect. I'd probably describe it as if you imagine invariably inside most clients, the decision maker for the policy on you know either. Uh, blanket, no limited company contractors or restricted use has invariably been legal or tax. Uh, the reality of for them is that they're not at the coal face experiencing mm-hmm. um, the the result of those decisions. So they're sat in there going, you know what, I don't want to be responsible for saying yes to limited company contractors and putting my head on the block unnecessarily. Um, I'd rather just say no and I can work, you know, focus on the stuff that's my day job. On the ground, which they're to a certain degree immune to, You've got hiring managers saying, help, I can't staff my projects. I can't afford to to bring resources in because the channels for resourcing are too expensive. You know, procurement saying, look, like, yeah, there's savings opportunities here that we're not realizing. So this is this is you know, part of the problem has been there's, there's not really been a catalyst for procurement or HR talent acquisition to really reopen those conversations that took place back in April 2021 about the company's policy stance so mm. if you imagine rich that companies haven't looked at contractors on a case-by-case basis and looked at the merits of whether they should or shouldn't be inside they've just gone no we just don't use them inside it's so outside you know, blanket you know so there hasn't yeah you know, so, so what they need to do and what is happening now in more significant numbers is uh, a rethink on the whole policy Let's change our view. And there's been some pretty seismic change in I-35 that's, that's, that's the catalyst for that.
0: I've seen that myself. Legal, their, their view is very much, let's mitigate the risk. But the effect that I saw from that was actually, especially in the IT space, you mentioned remote work. You mentioned it being a time where you know, we didn't necessarily want people in offices. So it didn't really matter where in the world you were. And I saw a lot of work, especially in the IT space, which was being offshored to the European Union. And the government's losing out uh, on that basis. So, and there are still remote roles out there. So, that's it's easier to have those wherever you want in the world, and not not necessarily in the UK. I, I,
1: yeah, hundred percent. So, so I would say that you know, obviously, you know, when I work for for clients in the procurement space, you know, invariably they have uh, a global contingent workforce need. So, you're right. Covid created lockdown. Lockdown created remote working. Suddenly, everyone the, the you know the contingent workforce became. The good, the good news, it's like anything, you know. We've, we're now two and a half years on from from the original April twenty twenty one decision. Is that technology has has evolved significantly in that time. So whereas before, yeah, you know, probably at, at the time, you know, they were looking at, you know, in the UK, CEST or some pretty basic paid for equivalents, which are not really worth their salt, if I'm honest. Now there's technology that exists which will not only do your assessment but manage your kind of contractor onboarding and compliance, create the contract structure within the supply chain, which is super critical for HMRC, and then provide full indemnification as well for the clients. So I think that the time is now for clients to reopen those discussions. The savings are enormous if you get it right. The access to the right caliber of contractors is fabulous. And there are um, solutions that would take that problem uh, and that risk and that responsibility away, which will make legal and tax feel comfortable. You know, right? Okay, as a business, we're making the decision that we're going to outsource, yeah, the compliance management of this and indeed, you know, the equivalents globally to this, you know, technology provider, and the business signs off to it.
0: And so, yeah, what's the current situation and what's the what are these changes that are coming up? The big change
1: that almost no one would have noticed because it was on i think page 91 of the autumn statement so if you're a nerd like me you'd be looking for a small print but no one one else would it's called it's called the offset change right and it's really really simple it took three years to come to bear but it's actually seismic so if you imagine that the thing that kept cfos awake at night three years ago was the risk of of misassessing of, of hmrc coming and knocking on the door and going okay well you know, Rich has been working with us for 12 months, £500 a day. Therefore, the the tax that Rich would have paid and we would have paid had Rich been inside IR35 from the get-go, you know, collectively would have been you know, £60,000 as a tax pot. And that's a combination of the employer's taxes and then you know, PAY and NI. Now, if you've been outside IR35 and HMRC had successfully challenged that, the client would have been on the hook for that entire 60,000 pound pot. Now you start to times that by one or 200 contractors in your business and you're up at six to 12 million pounds. Yeah. That's going to keep CFO awake at night. That's going to make legal and tax run, run for the hills. So that's how those decisions were arrived at. That was the motivator. Forget about the fact that actually it's quite difficult for HMRC to challenge, which I can come on to later. The big seismic change, that the private sector voiced about three years ago, but it's taken up until now for it to come to pass, is that there's a hold on a minute. So we've engaged, we are a client, we've engaged Rich through his limited company for the last year. His limited company has paid significant tax on the revenue from that engagement by way of 25% corporation tax. Let's assume that you withdrew the balance in dividends, which still attracts quite a significant tax burden. So in totality, on that example I gave, probably 45 grand's worth of tax has been paid. So it's a case of, well, sorry HMRC, but you can't keep the 45,000 you've already had and then make us liable for the 60 because then, you know, effectively you're double taxing. Correct. So offset, I guess the clue's in the word, they have to offset the tax that's been paid by the contractor and by the limited company against any potential liability if HMRC. Was to successfully challenge that outside determination as being inside, which is very difficult anyway. So, actually, in in really simple terms, what is happening is you you are de-risking IR thirty-five by about seventy-five percent. So that sixty grand that the CFO was panicked about suddenly becomes fifteen grand on average. Where that becomes really interesting is then if you look at the cost uplift of defaulting to engaging a contractor inside which i mentioned earlier is about 25% more than outside the cost uplift of engaging someone inside becomes more expensive significantly than actually the potential liability of engaging them outside and HMRC finding a needle in a haystack to disprove it so this is the seismic change. Mm. Penny is starting to drop. It will drop slowly. There will be companies that will get it, and they are. They're in conversation with me, and they are going to change their policy. They are going to be a bit more agile. They'll start to embrace this, probably from the next financial year from April onwards. Those that, uh, that struggle, those that are left behind, are going to find that there will be an increased volume of roles outside R35 as a result of this. Those roles will hoover up all of the contractors that are worth their salt uh, and those that are still trying to desperately engage people inside R35 will be faced with either not finding anyone or that uh, delta becoming more significant than 25%. So they'll have to follow suit naturally. And to a certain degree, if anyone's got any concerns about things like reputational risk, you're going to find a safety in numbers situation that will occur where actually there'll be a critical mass that will be now engaging contractors outside and actually if we do it you know we're no different from the rest of them so Hmm. it's going to be massive it's going to take a little while for it to sort of manifest itself in the marketplace but it's 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 the reason to go back and reopen those policy decisions from
0: 2021 it's it's that kind of catalyst um that that i think was necessary well it sounds like it will kill off the the blanket ban approach and actually yeah the organizations that don't Move with the times are going to be at a disadvantage because they won't. The, yeah, the quality resource that will be open to them will be much lower than than the ones that are working a bit more out, uh, in an agile fashion on this.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. In fact, what you'll often you'll get is is even where people are, are keeping trying to maintain budgets at the historical level, they'll just end up paying for more junior, less experienced members of staff on rates that typically historically would have attracted a much more experienced person because of the fact that they're constrained to being inside. So yeah. it's, yeah. as I say, you'll get those that will move quickly. And, and what people don't realize is actually there are quite a lot of companies out there that are engaging contractors outside in significant numbers. You just wouldn't have any reason to know that they are because it's not in the public domain. You know, one particular company I'm aware of, actually, that uses technology to manage IR35, uh, has used, I think, 15,000 contract engagements since mm. April 2021 outside R35 and recently passed an HMRC audit. So it shows that it's perfectly achievable, providing you've got the control. And what does this mean for procurement leaders? I'm obviously procurement, and I know that, you know, inflationary pressures and in the environment we've been in the last few years with energy costs and, and everything else, Ukraine Russia conflict has. Made savings really challenging to find. You know, best case scenario, you, you end up trying to mitigate inflation, but savings is challenging. But IR35 and indeed global management of self employed workers is a huge pot of savings waiting to be realized. And it's not cost avoidance, not fluffy stuff. This is pure play cost savings, i.e., last year we paid on average 800 pounds to engage a JavaScript developer all in. Inside R35 this year, we're engaging JavaScript developers for 650, all in, because they're outside. You know, it's 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 evidential cost savings. So I would say that probably a good rule of thumb when procurement leaders are looking at their contingent workforce, if you were to assume that anyone that is on a day rate, probably 400 pound plus, is going to fall into that sort of skilled contractor camp, I would say that if you haven't got at least two thirds. Of those contractors engaged outside R35, then you are missing a missing a trick. And assuming that you do, and you move to that, you know, you're probably looking at, I guess, that savings of about £20, 25,000 five thousand pound a contractor. Mm. You know, you start to time, times that by a hundred contractors, you've got two and a half million pound bottom line benefit. Plus, of course, attracting better calibre contractors, and of course, you know, importantly, avoiding uh, the need to body shop off the bench from consultancies.
0: Yeah, I guess that's a point that procurement leaders will probably be more open to is actually the the whole fact our management consultancies have done very well out of the last few years. But obviously you've got an increased cost of working with them.
1: I mean, let's be honest, it's not just a little bit of an increased cost, it's probably, it's probably double. But again, there lies an interesting point, isn't it? It's ironic that actually back, you know, who has the ear of the CFO? So way back when, two, three years ago, when they are Trying to understand what does this whole IR35 issue mean? You've got you know, EY, PwC, KPMG, you know, whomever else you know, in the ear of the CFO as the auditors going. I wouldn't touch contractors. You know, too risky, too risky. Because you know, ultimately they fill their own boots. Mm. Because you eliminate the contractor audience, and then you eliminate the alternative for clients to be able to to deliver projects with with skilled individuals. It what's interesting as well, Rich is. I I would guess that a lot of HR, professional services, category managers, a lot of CPOs won't have even realized that there has been this bleed of their spend that historically probably would have gone down the contingent work of the route, either via an hemisphere or otherwise, and it's finding its way into the consultancy equivalent because it almost gets lost in the noise. But actually, if you take a step back and probably analyzed the volume of, of external resources that a company was using, you know, back in pre twenty twenty one versus now, that it probably would be comparable, and yet you might find that the actual volume of contractors within that pool has reduced significantly. Therefore, you know that they're coming from somewhere else.
0: Is there an IR thirty five equivalent in other countries?
1: Yes, I know less about it, but what I what I'm really conversant on is is global compliance. Hmm. I don't professor to being an expert in all of the IR35 equivalents. So in, in the U, in the US, it's known as uh, 1099. Again, in there is an equivalent in Canada, and then in Germany and France and the Netherlands and so on and so forth. So yeah, it, the principles still uh, remain the same, which is there is a different tax regime to apply to those workers that are classified as employed versus those who are classified as self-employed. The criteria, for the most part, remains very similar. in in most of these countries. And again, it's it's not going to be within the gift of any tax department within a client to be able to self-manage this. But the good news, as I mentioned earlier, about that kind of technology that's evolved, there are some really good platforms now that will manage your global compliance and your classification and take responsibility for for the process control and the indemnification. MSP doesn't really want to wrap their arms around it. Yeah, the good news is is that there are some really good technologies now that have passed HMRC stress tests that can take this this burn this responsibility away.
0: What should procurement be doing?
1: Well, they, they absolutely. If you're if you're a CPO, if you're an HR uh, category manager, you should be using this offset change as the catalyst to reopen those discussions. It won't be within procurement's gift to make the decision on the policy invariably what i found with with all of the procurement teams and the and the clients that I advise i 35 has found its way into the lap of HR and talent acquisition um not through any desire on their part because it feels like it's people therefore it should sit there they're not equipped to be able to solve it they're not legal or tax experts let alone i 35 experts so as I mentioned earlier the the decision has historically been within that legal or tax department. So, But what procurement can do, and it should do, is be tenacious and carry that flag. So engage HRTA, uh, make them aware of this significant change in the offset legislation. i found very few that actually are aware of it. They need to be made aware. And then collaboratively use that to reopen the conversation with, with legal and or tax about a change in policy stance. And do that absolutely, by looking at some of the, you know, it's kind of best in class technology that can then solve the problem because ultimately legal will be, okay, well, I get this. I understand this, but you know, we still have to manage this process and manage it robustly. You know, we don't feel like we're equipped to do so. Whereas if you're almost second guessing and answering those questions for them, here we are. You know, do you realize that the offset issue is going to de-risk I-35 significantly, give us access to a better caliber of contracts at a reduced rate and don't worry in terms of process control management, there's next gen technology now that can take on that compliance classification responsibility so you don't need to worry about it. So so you know, and I can help, you know, I provide free advice to 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 CPOs. If you want to grab 30 minutes with me and, and just you know debate, because everyone's circumstances are slightly different. But you know, my 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 view on this, Rich, is it's absolutely it's time for procurement to start to reengage and use this as the catalyst.
0: So I guess the other thing would be to to look over the data, make a bit of a comparison of look this is pre I R thirty five this is or pre twenty twenty one this is what we were spending. You can track potentially the management consultancy spend going up. You can track the the contractor spend going up. You can obviously make certain assumptions around things like the the employment taxes that you've been paying, and you can do a comparison of where. you're where it should be versus where where it is, and uh, I'd imagine if it's several millions pounds, it's it's the sort of thing that really drives that case when you're talking to people like legally.
1: Hundred, hundred percent, yeah. So so yeah, it doesn't need to be complex in terms of working out the kind of the kind of fact packet maths on on what are the savings opportunity. As I mentioned earlier, take a broad brush and go okay with well, any contractor, four hundred pounds per day plus. Right, we then ring fence that ring fence that group of contractors. We've got a hundred of them. If they're all inside r thirty five at the moment. Let's assume that two-thirds of them could be outside if we were to apply the rules and manage the process correctly. Average cost of higher saving, 25%. So you've got sort of two-thirds. And then you can work out what, you know, what, what is 25% of the current spend that those two-thirds represent. And that would be, you know, that would be the savings. So I, in really simple terms, it works out on average about 25 grand per contractor annually across most of the clients that I engage with but you know don't ignore the fact that there becomes the reduced reliance on consultancies the access to a higher caliber of contractor the retention of that contractor throughout the term of the of the project so there's a whole bunch of operational benefits and this is where HMRC were probably be a bit short sighted when they when they made these changes is that this is not just about yeah tax recovery this is this is about enabling businesses to prosper and the self-employed workforce and the flexibility that that provides companies is is incredibly important for company, If every company could only ever use permanent resources for the projects that it was delivering, it would tie itself up in knots. It would have too many people on its books, and or or projects would just get mothballed and never happen. So, it's you know it's to everyone's benefit that businesses prosper.
0: Definitely. And where can people find you? And is there any support you're offering in the space that you want to talk about?
1: Yeah. So, so I'm a bit noisy on LinkedIn. Apologies <laughs> for that. Everyone wants to see my IR35 regular postings. So, yeah, contact me on LinkedIn. My email address is also in mark at ir35pro.com. One thing I'm, I'm writing up a, 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 a free course. So, it'll be sort of 12 digestible emails that will come, you know, consecutively over a 12 day period, each that will address one aspect of IR35. Less than three or four minutes to read each one. And obviously, they can retain them. The idea is that by the end of that, by the 12th day, the the, the recipient will be fully conversant with what it is, how to benefit the savings opportunities, how to apply it correctly, some of the technologies you can consider, and then ultimately the ammunition to be able to go and and open those conversations. But if people who have significant needs would like to to engage me directly, then just, just reach
0: out and email. Brilliant. Well, Mark, thanks for coming on. That's a really interesting topic, and uh, yeah, significant area of opportunity for procurement leaders. So, really appreciate the time. Definitely, thanks for your, thanks for your time, Rich. Thanks for listening. Do like and share, and subscribe to hear the next procurement conversation.